Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building. I'm hoping that unlike the Eastern Conference version of this, the microphone is hot. It indeed is. Adam and I are going to be breaking down each draft by team in terms of sort of grading how those teams did. If you listen to the Eastern Conference version, you'll know that, you know, I guess we grade the draft, but we talk about it a lot more from like a process perspective and about how do these things fit together? What is the direction of where they're going? Do we like just the general strategies employed during the draft by each of these teams? And we'll talk about picks, right? And we're going to talk about players and what we like about players, what we have questions about with players, everything like that. We're not going to talk about anything at the top here. We talked about the Nas Reed deal at the top of the last episode. The reason we're not going to talk about anything at the top here is because I think it's going to take us a little bit longer than the hour 15 that it took us to get through the Western Conference or to get through the Eastern Conference last time. Uh, just because the East had four or five teams that we could kind of buzz through yeah. pretty easily. The West, it feels like, is a little bit more complicated in some way. So, Adam, with all of that being said, how's it going? Hey, Sam. Uh, everything's good on my end here. I'm, uh, I'm rocking the old J.J. Reddick jersey. It's a, a great time to be alive. Got my wardrobe changed done. I'm, I'm ready to roll. Speaking of J.J., I do just want to note, I went back and watched like a little bit of the draft coverage. I think it's like not great. I, I don't love the way that like ESPN covers the draft, frankly. I will say, I don't think it really has to do with the talent on camera. I think it's more of a general production issue and some of the choices that they make. Uh, I don't need an interview with like parents every time. I don't like, if there's an interesting story, I love it. But like, I don't need every parent that's like in the green room, like talking about how their kid is the greatest and everything. It just gets monotonous and a bit redundant. I think more than anything else. Um, On top of it, I do think that like I've seen some complaints about the level of intelligence that like they have on that set. I mean, like JJ's really good. Uh Billis is good. Like, you know, people know that I have a lot of respect for the work that like John Gavoni does. And, you know, Woj is obviously up there like breaking news, like on command, essentially, <laughs> with everything that he knows league wide. I think the issue is more of a production-based issue than, like, a talent issue. So I would just, like, implore people, like, don't, like, tweet at the talent and say, like, oh, like, you guys don't have enough of this, you guys don't have enough of that. Like, I think they have the pieces to make what would be, like, a really good draft show, frankly. It's just that they don't – I don't think they employ it in the right way, which is uh, frustrating. Fair enough. Very fair. It's kind of where I'm at at this point. Okay. Let's get started. As in the East, we go through these teams alphabetically in the Western Conference. It felt like the easiest way to do it for everybody to track it. We could have gone in pick order, but also, like, just frankly, on my end, it was a little bit easier to gather if, like, we went through and did it alphabetically. Adam also did a substantial amount of the gathering in terms of, like, the work here. I'd imagine it was easier for you to do it alphabetically as well, given the fact that you did it alphabetically originally, right? Yeah, that was kind of my my thought is it's easier to get that information and gather it team by team. But also, like, you know, some teams are on the clock 
couple times in the first round. Some don't even have picks. Do you just save them for the very end? How do you try to weave them into the conversation in a situation like Indiana, Washington, where they kind of flipped picks in the East? Like who goes first in the conversation and the discussion there was something I wanted to avoid. So we just said alphabetically and, and let's just have a day. Yep. Okay. Let's jump in with the first team, the Dallas Mavericks had a fascinating draft night, one that will probably take a minute to talk about. So they started the night with number 10. They moved the number 10 overall pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for the number 12 pick and Davis Bertons. They moved the Davis Bertons deal over to the Oklahoma City Thunder, essentially getting off of that money is the goal here. So they use 10 to move down to 12. They get off the Bertons deal. Later in the draft, they take Derek Lively at number 12. Number 24 comes up. That was the Sacramento Kings pick. The Sacramento Kings moved Rashawn Holmes and number 24 to the Dallas Mavericks. They take Rashawn Holmes into a trade exception. So essentially what they do here is they swap Rashawn Holmes and Davis Bertans. Rashawn Holmes on the Dallas Mavericks. Davis Bertans no longer on the Dallas Mavericks. Then they move from 10 to 12 and acquire the number 24 overall pick who they use on Olivier Maxence Prosper. The ramifications of this are Davis Bertans made something like 17 million over each of the next two years. Only has 5 million guaranteed in 2024-25, I believe, based off of playing 75% of Oklahoma City's games next year. I can't imagine Oklahoma City will allow him to do that. So essentially 17 million this year, then 5 million next year. Holmes has 12 million each of the next two years. So they save $5 million this year, basically. They get Rashawn Holmes, who frankly I'm like kind of interested in as a Dallas Maverick for a couple of reasons we'll talk about here in a minute. They get the number 24 overall pick. They save $5 million this year in the process. I believe that gets them, if not enough space, it gets them dangerously close to having enough space to use the full mid-level exception, which will allow them to get another good defender in addition to Derek Lively and Omax Prosper. Adam. This is one of my favorite drafts any team had all night. I think this is an absolutely outstanding set of decisions across the board. I've had as many questions about Nico Harrison as a general manager as I think anybody can have. At the very least, I think that they handled this, all of this set of maneuvers incredibly well. Just incredibly, incredibly well. Totally agree. This was asset maximization yeah, to its absolute finest. Getting that 10th pick and probably realizing, you know what? If Lively's going to be our guy, is there any way we can extract more value out of this? We yep. need defense. We need a couple rookies and, and guys who can you know, fill out the roster and at least be rotation caliber guys. And I think they got two early in their career rotation caliber guys in Lively and Prosper who check the boxes they needed of having length and defensive aptitude. But to move off of that Berton's contract, get a sneaky good backup center guy in Rashawn Holmes in some regard, 
I really, really liked the, the way that they came out. To be able to to make that move and get Omax Prosper in the process, phenomenal for me. I, I loved Prosper. I had a, a top, I think, 20th or 21st uh, grade on him on my overall board. Had Lively at 10. So this is a home run draft as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and if I was Dallas, I would have had Omax higher than this. Like he is the ideal player for what they need on the wing. The player that I've been comparing him him to throughout the process is kind of Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, I think that you essentially get a Dorian Finney-Smith starter kit here, basically, with Omax Prosper, who, oh, by the way, I had ranked 24th overall Uh in this draft he's enormous he's like six foot eight in shoes and has a seven foot one wingspan and is a stopper defensively on the perimeter like he's really really impactful and effective uh then you go out and you get lively lively is a guy that i had 10th overall you look at the guys like Derek lively in terms of great positional size at the center position great athleticism at the center position high level defensive ability these guys don't really fail like he's a great rim runner. He's a great rim protector. He's a versatile ball screen defender. These guys are like your Mitchell Robinsons. Like, and I think Lively is a little bit more upside than Mitchell, just in terms yeah. of like his ability to pass a little bit, his potential to shoot it long term. I don't really even know that I buy into those two skills being super high level, but I buy into them enough to where the upside is greater. And I think Lively probably ends up as something between like the you know, seventh and 14th best center in the NBA at some point in his career. And that's a valuable player to take at number, you know, 12 where they took him. And at the end of the day, I also think that they would have taken Derek Lively at 10. Yes. Like, so to move off of the Bertons contract to take the same guy that they would have taken at 10 at number 12, I think they absolutely nailed draft night. Like, I think that from a process perspective, you, you just can't do better than this, I don't think. Like, you know, drafting Victor Wembanyama is better than this. But in terms of the assets and resources they had available to them, I think it's like pristine in terms of what they did. Yeah, it, it makes sense top to bottom. But freeing themselves of that Bertans contract, getting back a guy who can help in Rashawn Holmes, freeing up a little bit more space this year for free agency – all of these things while still getting your guy and the perfect role player in the twenties to compliment him. Just great work. And it's worth noting, like, look, Rashawn Holmes averaged three points per game last year. He played eight minutes per game last year. The three years before that he averaged 12 and a half points, eight rebounds, shot 65% from the field was a very impactful, effective offensive center, particularly because he is so effective as a role man. He's an effective role man as a short role player if teams put two on the ball on Luka Doncic because he has a very, very, as Adam just showcased, impactful little floater runner game. And then he's also a real finisher at the basket. He has great touch at the rim. Uh, I think that there was a chance, they have a better chance to derive value out of Rashawn Holmes moving forward than they do Davis Bertons. Holmes is probably overpaid by a bit, but. I think there's a chance they can get him to where that contract might not be as overpaid as an expiring contract by the end of next year. I think this was all super. Like I, I think they did incredibly well here uh, and, and deserve 
an immense amount of credit. They also signed Mike Miles to a two-way. You might be a Mike Miles guy, if I remember correctly. I am a Mike Miles guy. I really like his game. Yeah. I'm intrigued at the very least. Like, has real shit off the bounce. Like, tough, physical, uh, great finisher for somebody who's six foot tall. Like, unbelievable finisher. Good player. Like, really good two-way player to take a flyer on. One of the best guys outside of my top 60. I think I had him at like 62 or so, like right in that range. So across the board, I I think that Dallas did super, super well here. I've seen some like consternation from Dallas fans about this, and I do not get it. I think this is Hmm. like the best that they could have done on draft night. Yeah, I don't get that either. I really like the, again, the process, the results of, of, you know, clearing up that cap space. It, It seems like a great night. Okay, next up, the Denver Nuggets. So the Denver Nuggets acquired a lot of different picks throughout the draft cycle, essentially. So they acquired, they had number 40 coming in to this week. They trade with Oklahoma City. They move Oklahoma City a 2029 protected first round pick for the number 37 pick in this draft a first-round pick in next year's draft, and a 2024 second-round pick. So, sharp move from Denver. I get why Oklahoma City wanted to do it. They have a bunch of picks next year in a draft that might not be very good. Denver wants to keep acquiring talent that could help them sooner rather than later. Then, Denver moves the number 40 pick and their 2024 first-round pick for a 2023 first round pick, the number 29 overall pick, and then the number 32 overall pick, which became uh, Jalen Pickett. So all told on draft night, they finished the event with Julian Strother at 29, Jalen Pickett at 32, Hunter Tyson at 37. It's so from a strat, let's start here from a strategy perspective. I love everything that Calvin Booth did. I I think it was, again, about as good as you can do at understanding the way the new collective bargaining agreement seems to be headed in terms of you need young, if you're going to have this many star players, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. on a max, Aaron Gordon making 20 plus million, you need to go out and acquire guys who can be cheap and who can play quickly like Christian Brown. I think that part of it is perfect. I just don't have as high of a grade on the players they took at the end of the day. Sure. And I'm willing to parse, like, you know, parse through that, whatever. It's fine. I had Jalen Pickett at like 55 or so. They took him at 32. Mm-hmm. That, that's just like a wild pick to me, to be honest. Um, you know, great job. Uh, by his agency, like uh, LAMF. I mean, like they did a fantastic job of setting up Jalen Pickett in a good spot uh, where I would imagine at number 32, he's probably going to be on a guaranteed deal. And that is a player that I thought was like firmly in two-way range. Uh, Also, I I mentioned this on the live stream, but what day, how long ago did I text you that I thought Jalen Pickett was promised to Denver? Yeah, like I think a week or two weeks before uh, the draft. Yeah. I went through and looked through my texts. I was texting other agents trying to figure out if they felt that way on June 5th. So Denver, I think very, very much 
uh, telegraphed this. And it, you know, I think, again, when you telegraph promises like Golden State did with Alan Smilagic, you end up feeling the need, you end up getting leveraged, I think, in the process and feeling the need to take Jalen Pickett at 32 when they started this process at number 40 and we're probably hoping to take him at 40. Yep. Right. And no better example of that than Boston and Tatum. Yeah, totally right. Yep. Absolutely right. Julian Strother at 29. I had Strother at like 45 on my board. I think it's a fine pick. Like, I think it's a totally fine pick to take him there. Uh, I would have gone myriad other directions, but again, he's a fit with Nikola Jokic. He's a fit with Jamal Murray. If I was the Nuggets, I would, I don't know if I would have had him at 29, but. I certainly would have had him like right on the cusp of the first round, probably more in like the 35 range. You like Strother a little bit more than I do, right? I do. I I think that his shooting is just so consistent over a long period of time and translatable that he's going to find value as a role player in the NBA. How much is going to depend on some athletic improvements that he makes to hold his ground defensively and find a natural position to guard. And that's a little bit where the fit in Denver I don't want to say went uh, you know went astray for me, but I think that we talked about this on the live stream. Denver plays a little bit more at the level with Nikola Jokic, a little bit more hedge and recover against ball screens, which requires wings who are guarding the corners to play a little bit more in rotation, to help at the basket, chip away at the blocks, tag rollers for a moment, and then recover out to their man. And that exposes a non non-elite athlete like Strother in a lot of different ways to have to tag and recover and settle the ball on closeouts a lot of the time. And that's an area where I thought Strother struggled most on, on defense. He's a try hard guy who, when he uses his length and his strength decently well, can hold his ground. But when he has to move and be able to defend a first step off the catch, that's where he struggles a little bit more. So I just I had my my Carruthers about the scheme fit for best ways to keep Strother on the court, but I don't have any issue with him going at 29 because I think offensively he's the right type of shooter to pop next to Jokic, particularly in transition. That's the big one. Like he's going to feast in transition with Jokic. I would have taken Kobe Brown like pretty comfortably over him, like. Kobe Brown goes the next pick to the Clippers. We'll talk about that. But like Kobe Brown's a perfect fit for that scheme too, just in terms of movement, willingness to play physically defensively, like ability to shoot it. Like that's the guy I would have gone with, but you know, it's, it's understandable, I guess, to take Strother. Yeah. I pick it would have been just not on my board at number 32. Personally, you are a little bit higher on him than I am, if I remember correctly. A little bit, not substantially. I mean, I I thought Colby Jones would have been a really good fit here from the guard position. Yeah. Uh, Just, you know, good positional size, plays on the defensive end, smart on ball or off ball. I I thought he would have been a really steady handed kind of backup complement to what they already have. Mm -hmm. And then Hunter Tyson at 37 is fine. I, again, probably not who I would have gone with. But I think I was higher on Hunter than basically everybody in the public sphere. Where did you end up with him? Uh, I think I ended up with Hunter in the 60s. Yeah, I had like a pretty clear top 50 on him. Uh, like I think I was like 48, 49, something like that. And great shooter, like moves well. Completely reasonable pick. 
I don't know why you feel the need to take both Hunter Tyson and Julian Strother, but you know, it's fine. Like the, you know, I, I might have taken a flyer on someone like Jordan Walsh if I was them at 32. I might have taken a flyer on somebody like like I don't think anybody was taking Jalen Pickett at 30 before 37, frankly. So like I think we can talk about this in terms of guys that could have been available at 32. Like Colby Jones, Jordan Walsh, Julian Phillips. Like those are the guys I would have taken. I think Jordan Walsh is just like physically a little bit more ready to play than a uh Julian Phillips. So I might have gone Jordan Walsh, given what they would have wanted in Denver a little bit more. But I, I understand the strategy here. I, I yep. get it from a process perspective. I don't like parsing between differing evaluations too much. Yep. So I, I think in general, I'm willing to say like this was fine from Denver even if I don't love the players they picked and have real substantial questions about all of this now. Look, they needed cheap young guys who are veterans that can come in and play right away. They needed continued floor spacing around their best players, and they needed a competent backup guard who can help stabilize the bench unit in times when Murray sits. In theory, they drafted for all of those things this year. I have no problem with that in, in theory. Okay. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are next, and it's funny. Like these first four are like ones that I just have like enormous thoughts on. Uh, the Golden State Warriors take Brandon Pajemski at number nineteen. They acquire Trace Jackson Davis as like a throw-in to the Chris Paul deal, essentially uh, the number fifty-seven overall pick. And it seemed like uh, Excel Trace Jackson Davis's agency kind of finagled him down to number 57. Indiana made some comments. Uh, I believe it was Chad Buchanan on the radio uh, in the, on the day after the draft saying something along the lines of, well, you know, uh, you have to want, want it on both parties side. And then, you know, we really like trace, but you know, maybe we get, weren't able to take him. Uh, and then the, radio host just like straight up asked like, wait, uh, are you saying that like trace did not want to come to Indiana and be the pacer? And then he said something like, I think that would be a fair assessment. Like, uh, you know, you know, it's one side of it. You never know what trace Jackson Davis is thinking about it, but they probably, maybe they wanted him on a two way, whereas golden state is going to roster him. It feels like based off of what Mike Dunleavy said, which is the big difference in terms of whenever you're trying to understand the draft process in the second round, Things get complicated in a hurry uh, with rostering players in differing situations. So they end up with Trace Jackson Davis. They get Kendrick Davis on an E10. They get a few other guys that I guess are somewhat interesting. Um, The big one I want to talk about, though, is Pajemski. Because you and I have been lower on Brandon Pajemski throughout this process. I think that would be fair to say, right, as compared to consensus. I am much higher on him in golden state than I am in a vacuum. Like I, if I was golden state, I don't know if I would have him. uh, It seems like based on what Mike Dunleavy said, he said that they had him much higher than number 19. I I don't think I would have had him that high necessarily, but I think he's definitely a first round grade. If you tell me ahead of time that he's going to golden state. The things that we worry about with him are the athleticism, the square nature of his frame, kind of the hip flexibility. Golden State's scheme 
in their offensive like motion and like movement and everything is really gonna allow him to get the most out of those limitations because they're gonna keep him on the move constantly and allow him to just keep reading the play and being just a high IQ player, which is something he's really good at, in my opinion. Like he's a smart basketball player. Nobody will say otherwise there, I don't think. I think the scheme fit is ideal. And that is where I think fit is important. Like how a guy is going to play in your scheme, if you have a well-established coach like Steve Kerr is, is essential to evaluating how a guy is rated on your board. That's an enormous, enormous difference in my opinion. Pajemski is like a perfect fit for this offense in a lot of different ways. He's a 40 plus percent three point shooter. You know, he's at least like willing to fight. He's competitive. I think it's going to work in golden state for him. I had him at like 40 or so on my board again for golden state. I would have him much higher. I think this works just genuinely. Like I know we have been lower on him. I am at the point where I will say, I think this works uh, in a vacuum. I think if you put him in a place like, um, I'm like trying to think off the top of my head. Now, if you put him in a place like Boston, where the offense is a little bit more stagnant, or if you put him in a place like Milwaukee, where things are a little bit more stagnant and you're just like using him as a spacer, uh, if you put him in a place like uh, goal, or like the Lakers, where you just ask him to like spot up around LeBron and Anthony Davis, I, I don't think it would have been nearly as successful there. And that's where I would have had him much lower. But yeah. I think that in this scheme, it works. He's a shooter at his best, but he's a shooter who needs to be utilized in myriad ways in order to best disarm defenses spot up on the move, some pick and roll attempts coming off of different handoffs, curling screens and getting into the mid range. Cause he has from my vantage point, the best runner in this entire class, like unbelievable touch when he gets into the mid range, uses hostage dribbles well and gets guys on his back, incredibly crafty basketball player. And I think what golden state system allows for is if you're a high IQ guy and you can understand where your shots are going to come from, then your craftiness is going to explode because they they have smart basketball players around you. They always operate with a ton of space. I can see him picking up a ton of assists, just feeding guys like Kevon Looney or Draymond Green on slips while Steph, Steph Curry is darting off screens. Like He's going to have a real intuitive feel for how to make those around him better within Golden State's scheme. Now, Sam, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead, please. Uh, I was going to move to the defensive end of the floor here because that is where the lion's share of my questions about Pajemski came from. I think he's always been really talented and versatile, well-rounded on offense. Golden State seems to be leaning into playing a little bit smaller. And they run a switchable scheme on defense a lot of the time, where they try to have different guys defending at the point of attack. I wonder, and I, that's where I want to really ask you, Like, do you think of Pajemski defensively as being a guy who is helped or hindered by more of a switch-everything type of attack? Probably hindered uh, in important settings. It, it could work during the regular season, but I think 
in important moments, such as like the playoffs, it's going to be very, very hard, I think, to use him as switchable because I think he's just going to get shot over the top of by twos, threes, and fours. Yeah. So that's where I don't know if my process on the Pajemski evaluation has changed that much. I just think I really understand how and why he would pop within Golden State's offense, that he's a player whose strengths are on that end of the floor, and this is the absolute place to maximize those strengths so that maybe he comes becomes one of those guys that you just know the offensive production is so good you can live with everything else on D. I don't think this is a great scheme fit for him on D. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Ultimately, I think it's probably something that at number 19, I'm just willing to roll with. Sure. Like, again, probably wouldn't have been my pick at 19. I would have taken Cam Whitmore, I'm sure. Right? Like, that's the easiest thing to say, and we'll talk about him momentarily, right? But, like, you know, like, if I was them, I would have taken Omax Prosper, maybe as, like, a better, you know, name. If they wanted somebody that would come in and play immediately, I would have taken Chris Murray over him, certainly. But, honestly, he Pajemski is probably in their tier, like, that tier of player for me for the Warriors as opposed to like other teams where I have, you know, Omax and all of those guys, like it's here ahead of him. So that I think is what I mean more than anything. I think it's completely reasonable pick. Trace Jackson Davis is a really good pick for them too. Like smart passer, smart playmaker, really good short role playmaker, uh, which is something they love to have. I think he could step in and be like their backup center from day one, potentially. He's the right fit next to Steph Curry because what yep. Trace Jackson Davis needs is a guard who's going to command two defenders on the perimeter so that he can make those four-on-three plays. Like gone are the post-up touches that he had a bunch in college. He's still very left-hand dominant. Offensive impact in the half court is reliant on his screening partner. So whether that's on Golden State's part for steering to to get him there or him and his agent, I think this is a smart fit. It's a phenomenal fit. Like, truly a great fit. Uh, again, the ability to short roll and make plays is what you need in this offense next to Stephen Curry as a big. Kavon Looney developed it. I think that, like, Kavon Looney has always been his ideal comparison as a player. Now they just got, like, another one that makes a lot of sense. Vertical has real pop as a rim protector. I think he's not quite as mobile as Kavon is in ball screen coverages. Needs to improve there a little bit. But a lot there's a lot here that really makes a ton of sense for the golden state warriors with trace jackson davis i think it's i I think they handled this draft about as well as you can you know i I might parse with the pajemski pick but i think he's gonna work there so i quite like it I, i i really quite like it uh okay next up is houston We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. 
Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Houston takes a men Thompson at number four and Cam Whitmore at number 20. Those are two top five players for me, Adam. <laughs> top six. It's a good for draft. Me. Yeah. It's a good draft. So, how do you? I'll ask you this first, and then I will give my spiel on Cam Whitmore. Um, what do you like about the Amen Thompson fit in Houston? I think the pieces that Houston has already assembled for their young rebuilding core needed a table setter, needed somebody to make all of their lives a little bit easier on the offensive end, whether it's you know, catch and shoot looks for Jabari Smith or a little bit less of a need to balance creating for myself and others for Jalen Green. They just needed that one guy who can come in in the backcourt and stabilize and clarify everybody's roles. I think Amen Thompson, outside of Scoot Henderson, has the best chance to be an elite rim pressure and rim decision maker guard in this entire draft class. And I absolutely love the playmaking tools and the funky rhythm that he seems to move with while always being a threat to explode and finish at the basket. He is, when surrounded by floor spacing, going to really, really pop at the next level. But incredibly high basketball IQ, which I don't want to say the rest of the Rockets didn't necessarily have. Like Alpern Shengun, unbelievably smart basketball player. Usman Garuba, underrated basketball IQ in different ways. But I think to tie all of these pieces together, the guy who operates with the ball in his hands most needed to be an excellent decision maker. That's what Houston got. 
I agree with that. I think that they also got the ability to play up tempo uh, in a very substantial way uh, within Ime Yudoka's scheme. They got two really smart players at the pivot positions now uh, with Shengun at center and Thompson at the one. Getting those guys around Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, now Cam Whitmore as playmakers, I think is really essential in order to foster movement and like being able to create real effective offense. Yeah, I think this works. I do. I, I think this is a great fit for him. I mentioned that, you know, again, I had him two spots, I think below Cam Whitmore on my board. Uh, I would have taken him over Cam Whitmore for Houston particularly because I felt like, they needed ball movement. They needed the skills that Amen Thompson brought more than, you know, what Cam Whitmore brought to the table at the end of the day. Yep. Now the Cam Whitmore side of it. Cam Whitmore falls to 20. I think people d- during the live show, I think I was a little bit more circumspect in terms of what I wanted to share on Whitmore and what I didn't. Um, I'm still like not wildly enthused about like sharing like specific medical concerns on Whitmore. I'm probably not going to do it, but what I'll say is this, the medical concerns were real on Whitmore. Uh, It's a long-term question more so than like a short-term issue. You know, Cam Whitmore got interviewed, you know, during his presser and he was like, I'm not hurt right now. Like I feel great. I'm not injured. Um, so it, it's a long-term question about like how long he'll hold up more so than like a short-term deal is what my impression is. Not every team had him like red flagged to where he was off their board. Uh, I think I mentioned on the show, I think I talked, I talked to seven or eight teams. One of them explicitly told me it's not as bad as what Michael Porter's, you know, medical was uh, and said, like having said that, like it has to be a factor. Three teams said it would not be a factor and they would take him where they wanted to take him based on his merits as a player. And then four teams said it would be a factor. So realistically, it was like a five versus three split in terms of that, which again, I'm always hesitant to report medical stuff ahead of time, especially when it's a split like that, because it can be used to like, you know, raise and drop players up the board, up or down the board. And that's just like not something I'm comfortable with uh, in doing this job uh, when reporting this stuff. The other piece of it is the medical or not the medical, the, uh, the process that he had pre-draft and like all of the workouts and things. His pro day was phenomenal. Uh, teams came away incredibly impressed with his pro day. Uh, the team workouts and like the individual settings did not go as well for Cam Whitmore. Uh He's generally like a lower key guy is what I've been told. And like, he doesn't fill the room with like energy. Like he's not, he's not like gonna, you know, be that like boisterous dude. I think that like, I've seen a couple of like Rockets fans say like, he's an introvert. Like, I think it's probably like from an Intel perspective, a little bit more to it than that uh, in terms of why he fell uh, without getting into like specifics. But I think that it is a more complicated evaluation than merely a bad 
like, you know, his, his intel is bad. His medical's bad. Everything's like, everything's bad. I think that, frankly, teams overthought this in a pretty substantial way. Like, I will just say that very publicly. Um, I think teams overthought this. And the reason I say that is this. I, I can go through history and just talk about guys in the past that have had medical concerns. Like, Rob Williams had, like, a medical that made him fall to number 27 in the draft. You know, he's supposed to go, you know, 10 to 15, basically. And... Rob Williams ends up making second team all defense a couple years ago, right? Uh, Malcolm Brogdon's a guy that had a very significant medical concern. Malcolm Brogdon won rookie of the year. Uh, he, you know, won six man of the year this year, everything like that. Michael Porter Jr. had a real medical concern. Michael Porter Jr. went what uh 14th in the draft ever after being supposed to go you know fifth or seventh or whatever and now he's starting for a nba championship team there are so many guys where these medical concerns have been real og ananobi right og ananobi had the uh injury at indiana there's a real medical concern he falls to number 23 this guy's six foot eight he's seven foot two wingspan he's enormous he's awesome falls 23 all defense level guy, someone that teams are trying head over fists to steal out of Toronto right now. Uh, I believe Cam Johnson's another guy, by the way, that had like questions about his medical pre-draft. Like I can go through years upon years upon years of this where guys fall or, you know, in Cam Johnson's case, like Phoenix just takes them and just says, fuck it. Like we're going for it and it works or like guys fall and it works. I don't mean to discredit the idea of medicals being important. They are. I just think that with a talent like Cam Whitmore's at some point, you need to just take him and go. Like you, you need to just take him and take the upside swing and say, this guy's a dude. Like this is, you know, it's 16 for Utah where we're rebuilding our perimeter. The juice is like just so much more like worth the squeeze i guess to me i just can't i can't i can't understand what some of these teams in the middle of the lottery were doing kind of uh passing on him yeah i guess there is like a real differentiation in terms of the evaluation where some teams don't like the fact that he doesn't really pass well right now you know some teams don't like you know his off-ball defense There, there are real things here with cam whitmore You've talked about them before. You're slightly less high on him than I am. And I'm willing to accept that. Like, I I think that it's completely reasonable for you to like have Cam Whitmore at number 10 on your board and just be like a little bit lower on him. Right. Like that's, that's something where I'm just like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, if you feel a different way than I do, I completely accept that. I, I just think that this got overthought a little bit with him falling to number 20, uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, and look, I, I've I've felt a little closer to Cam Whitmore, not because I know him very well personally, but I've coached against him uh, when he was in high school and have followed his career a little bit more closely just because it's been closer to home for me. And the one thing I know about Cam, it, it, from my personal experience, and, and take that for what it's worth, my personal experience, 
he is a quiet kid. He is a reserve guy. I don't know how someone can throw down as many emphatic athletic dunks as he does and never let out as much of a yell. But I've had positive interactions with him where I, I, he is a, he's a good person. And I will leave my personal experience at that. I hate seeing a guy continue to fall for things that are sometimes outside of their control or perception issues as much as anything else. That said, I think Houston is going to be a very good landing spot for him. And because of that, sometimes good things come from, from things like this. You are, uh, you are muted again, sir. Once an episode, Adam. Once an episode. Once an episode. Uh, the other big thing with Whitmore, I think, is that like the, the most comparable player to him in terms of statistical profile, in terms of you know athletic profile, everything like that, to me is Jalen Brown. And it always kind of has been Jalen Brown. Uh, maybe not quite as he's not, he's a little boxier than Jalen. I think Jalen's a more fluid, natural athlete. I do think Jalen was like a slightly better prospect than what Cam Whitmore was, but I do also pretty strongly believe that him getting coached by Ime Yudoka, a guy that you know had Jalen Brown in Boston and knows how to utilize guys like this. You know, not an exceptional feel, but superb, like nuclear top 15 in the NBA athlete from day one. You know, great scoring instincts. I think this is going to help him a lot. Like, I think this is a very strong fit in that respect as well. Yeah. And I think that Ime, from a personality standpoint, is going to be able to connect with a more reserved guy. That a lot of times it's, it's you know, not just about being the loudest voice in the room that it's sometimes mm-hmm. knowing how to appreciate the individual traits that different people on the roster bring to the table. And, and uh, yeah. And to be clear, like too, uh, it's not just that he's like introverted. Like sure. I think that like, sure. you know, teams wondered like, is what is his engagement? Like, you know, it didn't go super well this year at Villanova. Like there were times where he got benched, like, you know, was he frustrated? Was he this? Was he that? Like, you know, I'm sure they had their conversations with the Villanova staff. It's intriguing that we're at a point now where Cam Whitmore is this, I guess. Like, it has fallen to 20, and we're trying to figure out why that happened. And it's like a yellow medical, not a red medical. Right. And it is a, you know, a situation where people are like wondering, like, is he going to get the most out of his career? Maybe is like a fair way to put it in terms of like personality and everything like that. It just feels, I don't know. It feels silly. Again, I, I think teams overthought this. I, I really do. I agree. And I, I can point to, like I did, I just, I, I can point to examples throughout history where I think teams overthought this on some level. So, Yeah. That's where I'm at on it. Okay. Uh, next up, Adam. We are going to go to the Los Angeles Clippers. This is going to be a bit of a shorter one. The Clippers take Kobe Brown at number 30, Jordan Miller at number 48. Uh, they also signed Xavier Castaneda to an E10. I mean, just like Clippers guys. Yep. <laughs> like just tough, big, physical, um, just – Clippers guys. Jordan Miller is like an awesome cutter, physical, uh, good defender, you know, working through the jumper. 
Kobe Brown, tough defender, physical, strong. Like this is just like the most Clippers draft imaginable to me. Yeah, smart, self-aware guys who are a little bit older and might be able to come in and just be that one like four of clubs that Ty Lue pulls out of his deck every now and then in a playoff series because he's known to like just do random things and they always seem to work. And that's what you're looking for on rookies coming into a situation where you're still hopefully gearing up for another run at this thing as the Clippers seemingly have been for the last half decade. You are the chief uh, fan of the Kobe Brown fan club. So I will give you the floor. Explain why Kobe Brown is a good first round pick. Yeah, You buy into the shot with Kobe Brown. Uh, Three years at Missouri where he didn't shoot the ball well, made some mechanical tweaks going into his senior year, shot the lights out over 40% from three. But big, strong, physical to guard fours at the NBA level might have enough basketball IQ to figure out how to guard a couple different positions in addition to that. A little bit worried about his hips and just moving in space. But again, really high IQ basketball player. And that's where Clippers fans should be really engaged with him on offense. He did a little bit of everything this year at Missouri. Brought the ball up and handled it. Crushed in transition. Threw Kevin Love outlet passes. Mismatch posted. Pick and pop threed. Handled in the pick and roll. Rolled to the basket out of the pick. He did everything for them. And the common thread between all of those actions is he was a great decision maker in every single one. And that's what the Clippers are really getting in a guy who scales down as a role player, not just someone who can do multiple things, but who makes the right decision for their team in whatever role he's going to be deployed. To me, that's a successful role player. I love his fit in L.A. Yep. Yep. I agree. I think that all of this is right. And this is just a smart draft from the Clippers. Uh, I think Jordan Miller could come in and like, he'll probably be a G league guy next year, but like, I I like this draft more than I've liked their last couple where they've taken like your Jason Preston's, your BJ Boston's, your Musa Diabate's. Like, I think this all makes sense to me. Like take older guys, guys that can help you now. And you know, you're at 30, you're at, 48 like these these are the kind of guys i like to take swings on uh ready-made role-player skills i guess is the way to put it yeah we mentioned on the eastern conference pod the hornets are a team that like is devoid of wings do the clippers have a player on their roster who isn't a wing at this point (laughs) they are just all wings right there but the kind of fun part is that like kobe brown might be able to play some center then i love it i love it let's go yeah Okay, uh, next up, the Lakers. Jalen Hutchfino at 17. They get number 40 for pick number 47 in cash, uh, and they take Max Lewis there at number 40, uh, and they take Colin Castleton undrafted on a two-way and Demoy Hodge undrafted on a two-way. I mean, just this is, this is classic Los Angeles Lakers under Jesse Buss adore everything that they do on draft night they are so good at this every single season and their scouting department deserves so so much credit i love every single thing about this they take jalen hutchfino who's a great fit with austin reeves in the backcourt real positional size real switchability it all works they take uh max lewis who's like an upside flyer on the wing who can be a potential three-point gunner in an offense that really 
you know, kind of needs those kind of guys. Also kind of an upside swing for them in the post LeBron yeah. era at number yeah. 40, which is interesting. And then Colin Castleton might be their backup center next year. Just straight up. Like that dude is a perfect fit behind Anthony Davis. Like I, I, I think this is, this is ideal for them. Yeah, and the Lakers will always be one of those teams that can fare better than everyone else on the two-way market because they are a preferred destination to have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and and real moxie as an organization long-term. So I, I think Castleton ending up there is fantastic for the Lakers to be able to, to orchestrate. But Hushafino is is the real gem of this to me, a guy I had a lottery grade on really believe in his ability to come in and be a high volume pick and roll threat to run the offense in moments when LeBron rests. I think that's an area where the Lakers probably could use a little bit more, more juice. Like the way of Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell are built, I think is more to be off ball guards next to LeBron and AD cooking, but they probably needed that one more, like get into the lane, make the right decision, just make the job simpler for everyone around me guard and once you get him in a guy like Jalen hood Shafino, it simplifies the role players that you target everywhere else. You just go out there and you get those longer wing shooters, those guys who can defend a little bit. You worry less about rim pressure and creation on your second unit. And that's really valuable from the jump because I do believe that hood Shafino can play as a backup point guard from day one. But as you mentioned, his size, his basketball IQ, and his competitiveness – are going to allow him to scale up and either play with the starters or maintain that role into the postseason. I'm just really high on the player, Jalen Huchifino, and the fit here in Los Angeles. Well, this was a Lakers team early in the season last year that struggled with like a lack of size in the backcourt, particularly. Yeah. Uh, they played a lot of smaller players. Getting another guy in Jalen Huchifino that's like a bigger guy, I think is actually like really, really valuable for them. I, I really, really like this across the board. They're going to be tough to score on when they have Huchifino and Anthony Davis defending one-five pick and rolls. That's that's tough. Yeah, yeah it is. And then the other piece of it is, uh, I do want to talk about Colin Castleton. Like this is probably my favorite undrafted two-way signing. Yeah, I think it just like really works for them. Like I, I think that he's going to be like the versatile pick and roll defender that they need. And like he can pass, he can handle the ball, he can be like a guy that you outlet the ball to, and he can keep the offense flowing. I think this is super helpful for them. Like, this just works. Like, it really truly works. He's like Kirkland brand below the rim, Anthony Davis, in what they're trying to accomplish in LA. Like, I'm, I, it's seriously, it's a it's a great fit for Colin Castleton, but it's a great fit for LA too. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Kirkland brand. Uh, okay. The Memphis Grizzlies are up. Before I even get into this, did you have Tariq Bibarovich on any list that you had? Who? No, I didn't. So the only reason I had Tariq Bibarovich on any on a list was because he declared for the 2021 draft. Um, I've since gone back and watched. Not for me, uh, not a pick I would have made, but, you know, wing that can shoot. You know, he didn't have a great year this year, but he had a great year or like a okay year uh, in 2021-22. I, I under, 
I don't understand it, but like I a big wing that you have to stash that can theoretically shoot is the sure. idea here. Uh, not someone that I would have had in my top 150 uh, this year, I don't think, given how poor the pre-draft year was. But sure, uh, Memphis does this. <laughs> it's classic Memphis shit. The bigger one is they take Gigi Jackson at 45. Obviously, they also like move out number 25 to get Marcus Smart. That's the most important thing here. We'll talk about the Marcus Smart fit here as we did during the draft momentarily. But the Gigi Jackson fit in Memphis is fascinating. Like, I kind of, I kind of love it a little bit. Like, it's, I'm assuming he's, I don't know. You think, do you think he's on a two way? Like, my guess is he's probably on a two way, right? Probably they still have a lot of roster spots. Right. That's right. No, knowing the other roster guys that they have, they've drafted a lot of younger bodies the last few years and none of them have really disappointed. Like they already cut Kennedy Chandler in order to make room for all of the guys that they already have. Like, but I, I still like the upside play of Gigi Jackson. He's so young and his evolution over the last 16 months as an offensive player is ridiculous. I've described Gigi as a guy who was built in a a one-on-one training session to play basketball. And he's really good at making difficult shots and having some skill that shows off when he plays with the ball in his hands. But he doesn't know how to actualize that in a five-on-five setting yet. And I'm more willing to bet on him being able to learn how to do some of that with reps, with time, then I am just willing to say, like, that's not a gamble I would ever want to take. I think it's a smart investment play in the second round by any team, particularly one like Memphis, who is going to have a style of play that they can much more easily mold him for, as opposed to just saying, like, hey, here's what you're going to do with the Memphis hustle. And then by the time you're ready to come play in the NBA, we may be doing something drastically different on the NBA team. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a pure upside swing. I like it for them as a pure upside swing. They're a good developmental team. Uh, they will get the most out of Gigi Jackson in terms of like, if he can, you know, he'll, they'll make him play in the G League. That that G League system there with the hustle Great. is very good. Great. And that's the kind of like infrastructure I think Jackson needs. People don't think Gigi Jackson is like a bad kid. That's not why he fell to 45. They just think he's immature and like has a lot of room to grow as a human being because uh, he's 18 and he's incredibly young and did this way too early. That that was always my contention with Jackson was that this was too early. Like this was not a smart decision to decommit from North Carolina, go to South Carolina, this, that, and the other thing, right? Like it, it just, they, they sped up the process when they didn't need to speed up the process. But yeah, if it's going to work somewhere, like why not Memphis? I guess, right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm cool with it on their end. I think this is the time you take that gamble because you don't have real holes or roster spots that you expect to fill in the draft, and you traded the first round pick that you had in order to get the right win now piece at Marcus Smart. I'm I'm cool with it. Yeah, the last piece here is the Marcus Smart piece of it. Uh, moving two first-round picks and Tyus Jones basically for Marcus mm-hmm. Smart on its face looks like an overpay. I think functionally in terms of the way that Marcus Smart will work with their core, it's not. Yeah. 
Marcus Smart is about as ideal a person to put between John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Jaron Jackson as you will find. He can play as like a secondary ball handler. When Jaw's off the court, he can be the backup point guard. He can be the primary wing defender in circumstances like this. He can be the primary guard defender if you need to take John Morant off of somebody and hide him somewhere. He can like be the kind of leader that this team needs, like from a veteran presence. And then more than anything, the lineup flexibility they have moving forward is enormous. And this is in part because of Jaron, but it's also because of the flexibility scheme and like fit wise that Marcus Smart gives you the Jaron, the John Morant, Desmond Bain, Marcus Smart, Jaron Jackson core. There is not a player on planet earth other than probably another small like point guard sized player that you can't play with those guys and make it work. You can play a smaller wing. You can play a bigger wing. You can play uh, a Steven Adams. If you need to, you can play a Santi Aldama with them. Uh, You can play more of a four man, like a David Roddy or a Jake LaRavia. You can play a Zaire Williams with them. If you want to, you can play, you can go out and you can get like a Paul George on the trade market. If that's the route you want to go, you can go and get they're They're just, those four are so versatile in terms of the lineup constructions that you can play in the playoffs that it gives Memphis a huge head up in terms of trying to construct lineups that shut off what opposing teams do now. That's why this is a great deal for them. Yeah. And and I, I'm glad that you mentioned a little bit earlier, the veteran leadership piece of this, that Memphis as this young group that has been over, you know, over exceeding essentially and just breaking down what the expectations were for them year after year in order to keep going through that, I think they needed somebody who's more battle tested with championship level experience. And Marcus Smart has been in the Eastern Conference Finals basically every year for the last half decade, made an NBA Finals appearance, and he's not going to be shy about being vocal and helping to carry that culture. It's the right off-court player that the Memphis Grizzlies needed at a time when it seems like they need a lot of veteran leadership. Okay, next up, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They trade two future second-round picks to get into number 33 for Leonard Miller, and they take Jalen Clark at number 53. Look, Leonard Miller at 33 is probably my favorite value pick of this entire draft. Like, outside of Cam Whitmore, you get Leonard Miller at 33, you're golden. Like, I had Leonard at 13 on my board. I think Leonard is an outstanding player to get at number 33. It's a really good gamble in the second round for a team like Minnesota to take. I I think, you know, we've had conversations here about the balance between taking best available and then trying to envision how all of the pieces you have fit together. I'm still scratching my head on how the fit comes in in Minnesota. You know, we talked about Nas Reed a little bit in the Eastern conference pod within having that new contract Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, uh, McDaniels, now Leonard Miller thrown into the mix. There are a lot of bigger bodies on this roster who I don't know how they scale down and guard different positions. I want to see what the plan is in order to bring all these things together. But on its face, when you have an opportunity to get Leonard Miller at 33rd, I'm not going to say no to that. Yeah, so, well, Jalen McDaniels is a different beast. Like, he's incredible at scaling down. Uh, positional sure like he can guard super super well um 
I think Leonard is a year away still. Like my, my thing has always been that like you probably stick Leonard Miller in the G league for a year and maybe by the end of the year, he can play minutes in the NBA. Um, I I've always thought of him as, you know, someone who's probably not going to make an immediate impact. So given how much is up in the air with this roster long-term in terms of like, is Rudy Gobert long for this team? Is Carl Towns long for this team? Like, you know, they just signed Nas Reed to a deal that I quite like. I think it makes a lot of sense both ways. I, I just kind of think that like, I, I almost, I'm not worried. I'm less worried about it with them than I am with like Charlotte with Nick Smith, I guess. Cause I do think that Leonard is just like a more just developmental player in such a substantial way. Like it, it's just going to take him a minute, I think. Yeah, I think it will too. Um, and again, I, I think that there's enough runway for the Timberwolves to figure out how to get all these pieces to fit and, and readjust their rotations in some way. And I'm not opposed to it. Get, getting Leonard yeah. Miller at 33rd, always going to be a good move in my book. Yeah. And like another thing about this is like Tim Connolly, you know, takes these guys. He takes these big dribble pass shoot guys. Um, your Baltimore brethren over there, Tim Connolly. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, I think that it's a good fit. He'll know how to make these guys work. He knows how to like figure these things out. I think it's sharp. I think it's really, really sharp. Um, any thoughts on Jalen Clark before we move on? A really, really good defender off ball on ball provides pressure, smart rotationally. It's always going to come down to the shot with him. Yeah. Uh, next up the Jordan Hawkins, number 14 overall new Orleans Pelicans. Yeah. I like, I like the pick. It's a perfect scheme fit for what they need. It's a perfect fit next to Zion Williamson. Perfect fit next to the myriad other players they have on their roster. I like the fit next to Dyson Daniels. I like the fit next to Trey Murphy, you know, as a spot-up guy that can do a little bit more as a cutter. I like the different actions they could run with Zion Williamson and Jordan Hawkins in screening actions. I would implore Willie Green to just go watch every single moment of the J.J. Redick-Zion Williamson experience uh, when – Stan Van Gundy was the coach there where they ran all sorts of super creative, fun actions between those two in like two, four ball screen sets or four, two ball screen sets from time to time. Great fit. Like this, this is a, this is an easy, this is the easiest conversation we're going to have the whole time. This is awesome from the new Orleans Pelicans. I think. Yeah. Jordan Hawkins needed to go to a creative offensive coach who is going to utilize him in movement sets and be really thoughtful about, making sure he isn't just standing along the three-point line. And he found it. That's where he ended up here in New Orleans. Willie Green is an exceptional offensive mind and tactical coach in a lot of different ways. And there's no more, there's no place where you can be more important as a movement shooter than next to Zion Williamson. I just really like this for everybody. Yep. I do too. Uh, Landers Nolly, Liam Robbins, Tevian Jones, also three guys that I'm like pretty interested in. Yeah, like, me I had too. them all ranked like between 60 and 75. Like Yeah, the the idea yeah. of a of a stretch five and Robbins next to Zion who can protect the floor, protect the basket and stretch the floor on the other end, really intriguing to me. I like Landers yeah. Nolly as a shooter. I had a, a top 45 grade on him. I, I really like the consistency at which he shoots and also rebounds. 6'10 wingspan, like bigger than you think. This is a good night from New Orleans. Really good night. 
I agree. They nailed this. I, I think they did super, super well. The Liam Robbins thing is really interesting. He He's just dealt with injuries throughout the course of his career. Like, you know, I, I would imagine on some level, like there's, there's gotta be some like medical, I, I don't know this, this is me speculating, but purely based on the sheer number of injuries that he's suffered throughout the course of his career, there are probably medical flags there in some respect. Um, by the end of the year this year, you talk to other SEC coaches, like outside of Vanderbilt, they were like, this is the best player in our league right now. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he's, he's really good. It's a good, it's a good gamble for the New Orleans Pelicans. Okay. The Oklahoma City Thunder are up. They take Kaysen Wallace at number 10 after trading up from 12 by taking on the Davis Bertons deal from Dallas. They get Keontae Johnson at number 50. They take flyers on E10s on Caleb McConnell, Adam Flagler, uh, and a few others that I did not have ranked. Smart moves, like you know, it's all, all reasonable. I, I, I'm like a little bit skeptical. They had to move up for Case and Wallace on some level, right? Like th- that's always my question, but this is where I raised to you like a conspiracy theory. I, I talked to this, I talked about this uh, with Andrew Schlecht on the Saturday slam and jam that we recorded after the show or after the draft. Is there a chance that Sam Presti sees the Bertons contract as an asset? There's probably a chance, uh, especially that's got the five million guarantee in the second year. Yes, it has five yes. million guaranteed in the second year, and this is a team that does not have a lot of like mid-tier contracts like Bertons, yes. like between eight and twenty million. They're actually tradable deals, like Chet Holmgren, Josh Giddy. I think those guys are probably in that range, but you're not moving those guys if you don't have to. So, like. At the deadline now, they can package Lou Dort, who they just got a ready-made replacement for in Case and Wallace, and Davis Bertons, who has this like sweetheart deal that you can use as cap relief as an opposing team, and be in the market potentially for a star, like in a real way. And, and they still got all those future picks too. And they have all the future picks. I'm not saying that like this is an asset is a deal. It wouldn't surprise me though if like Sam Presti thought this was an interesting contract as a trade asset yeah. for yeah. them particularly. Well, now that you say it, Sam, it's starting to make a lot of sense. Also, there's a real chance that I'm like reading way too much into this and giving Sam Presti like too much credit. <laughs> uh, I think Presti is like a genius. Uh, I'm not afraid to say that. Like I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, take the blame on this if i'm just wrong um I, i'm sure other gms i've not had i said this to andrew on the slam and jam i was like yeah i'm sure that like i'm gonna get a text from like another gm who's gonna be like you're an absolute fucking moron like what are you talking about um but i haven't gotten one yet and i'm a little bit curious to see if i do get one i think there's like a chance they saw that contract is interesting why do you like case and wallace adam Kaysen Wallace? I love Kaysen Wallace. And he's a, he's a good basketball player. Really tenacious on the defensive end of the floor. I think he's going to fit in well with the Thunder Boys that they've already collected there who care on the defensive end and are tryhards and make unselfish team-first decisions on offense. He's smarter 
with the ball in his hands and he gets a lot of credit for. I don't know if that's a Kentucky offense or if it's more so the fact that he's just a little square and doesn't have the same like consistent rim pressure that you would expect from a lead guard. But he can make a lot of great decisions with the ball in his hands. I do buy him being a really high-value floor spacer, but everything culturally about the type of person that Cason Wallace is fits a winning mold in the NBA, and it fits what Oklahoma City has already built. The more I've thought about this, the more I absolutely love it. Yeah, I do too. I think it makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, any Keontae Johnson thoughts? Not really. Like I, I think he fits just the longer than he is tall kind of mantra with some ball skills that Oklahoma City looks for in the second round. To be honest, they have so much depth that they've accumulated the last couple of years that anything in the second round or these like exhibit 10 guys is interesting as they are. It's just such an uphill battle to stick in Oklahoma City. Okay. Next up, the Phoenix Suns. This will be a very quick conversation. <laughs> they take Tamani Kamara at number 52. Uh, they also signed Trey Jemison, Marcus Carr, Grant Sherfield, summer league deals. Uh, are you a Tumani Kamara guy, Adam? Not necessarily. I just don't know how much I trust the shooting at this point. Yeah. It, it's interesting insofar as like, I like the fact they got a big wing defender, which is kind of something that I was hoping that they would do. Uh, I, I think that it makes it a lot of sense for them to like go about getting a bigger wing defender like this. Just you know, I don't know if he has enough game. Like it's it's like a bullshit like thing to say. I know, I just don't know if he has enough game. It's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, he's he's toolsy and athletic as hell though. Toolsy and athletic, really good defender, uh, tough rebounder. Like has all of those tools. Definitely worth like a two way. Probably going to be on a guaranteed deal. I would imagine like a full roster deal just because of the way that Phoenix is uh, situated. It's an interesting flyer. James Jones has done well with these guys. Um, It makes me want to buy into it more, certainly. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got. Next up. The Portland Trailblazers take Scoot Anderson at number three. They take Chris Murray at number 23. They take Rayon Repair at number 43. Uh, This is a good draft, Adam. It's a very good draft. Yeah, whenever you can sit third and get Scoot Henderson, uh, I'd call that a, a hell of a night. And you know yeah. I, my love for, for Chris Murray, the unsung, like, just forgotten guy in this draft class. I had a top 15 grade on him. Really reliable player as a three-point floor spacer. I don't think he's the same player as his twin brother. I think Keegan is better. But their NBA roles in terms of what they fill on a good competitive team will be fairly similar. And I think the gap is not going to be too large between them in terms of that impact. So I think getting him in the 20s was a great bet. And then long-term upside play with repair in the second round, like absolutely, that is a guy in the second round I would love to draft and stash or yeah. just have and, and continue to to monitor his development long-term if he turns into a 3 and D wing. Totally agree. Uh, I think Repair is a really interesting flyer as a 3 and D wing. Scoot Henderson is, to me, the second best player in this draft, and you got him at number three. And he is a tier one prospect for me. Uh, I think he is genuinely going to be a star in the NBA. I mean, do you have thoughts on what they do now with Damian Lillard? Like uh, To me, I'm just hoping that they want to play together at the end of the day. 
I would love to see them want to play together. I, I think my prevailing takeaway is that you might be able to piece this thing together for the next couple of years by moving Anthony Simons instead of moving Damian Lillard and seeing what you can get in return for another additional wing. So much of this is going to hinge upon their ability to retain Jeremy Grant. It's just kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And, you know, Chris Murray gives them some real uh, insurance in case Jeremy Grant decides to move on just in terms of being a bigger wing, which is something they don't have a crazy amount of. A lot yeah. of their wings, Nasir Little, um, you know, Matisse Thibel, if they re-sign him, like these guys are more in like the six foot five with length range as opposed to Chris Murray being six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan and being like big as a wing, like truly big. So gives them a little bit of insurance there. Gives them another body there. Cause even with Jeremy Grant, they could use another one of those guys. Yeah, I, I think this is really good. Like, this is a good team. They did very well on draft night. Shout out Mike Schmitz. Uh, I mean, I think that this this is just like classic, smart, intelligent decision making. It, it, I don't know if you've noticed a theme here, but like in a lot of what these Western Conference teams have done. For the most part, yeah. Like, I, I think we were pretty, like, pos- I think we're positive in general uh, on this show. Yeah. Um, I think we've probably, I think I've probably been a little bit more negative on this episode as opposed to the East, but like we, we like a lot of what these teams have done because they did smart things. Next up is Sacramento. They take Colby Jones at 34. They take Jalen Slauson at 54. Uh, you know, they get Colby Jones after moving 38 in a future second. And then they get off of the Rashawn Holmes money, uh, and move that into Dallas's space by trading number 24 overall it seems like what they're doing is they're like clearing the decks for like actual cap space to try and go sign like an actual player now. And look, if you're them and like, it seems, you know, I don't even know if there's been reporting, there's been speculation probably that, you know, they would like to try and chase Draymond green. Like, I mean, you have Mike Brown as the coach Draymond green's the ideal fit next to Devon Sabonis. Like I get it. I get it on a real level. Uh, if you think you can go get him, do that. If you think you can go get other players, like go do that. I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I think that getting off of the Holmes money and not having number 24, you better come through with something I think is where I'm at on it. Like you better go find somebody, but if they find somebody, I'm okay with them doing this. Yeah. The, the pathway forward for the Kings getting better in the short term was not probably through this draft or the 24th pick. So to be able to use it as an asset to create the cap space to find immediate help, you won't see the dividends of it between now and when they make that signing, or hopefully if they make that signing, but a smart move by their front office to clear that space and to still get Colby Jones in the early part of the second round. I think that gives them enough youth and another interesting asset as a second round pick. I, I do think Colby's going to be able to come in and play a little bit in the NBA sooner than a lot of these guys that we talk about in the 20 to 40 range. Yeah. Why, why do you like Colby Jones? Just smart basketball player, uh, connective piece. I love the, the catch and shoot form. I think he has the ability to play off ball, but in Sacramento's system, they can get him the ball on the move on offense Great decision maker, good runner, solid passer, comes off of those like zoom actions when he's running out of the corner really effectively. 
And when he wanted to guard and take it personally to guard the other team's best player, he was very good on the defensive end this year at Xavier. Just another one of those solid, like, you might not always notice the positive contributions he's making when he's out there, but he doesn't hurt your team in any ways type of role player. Interesting. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense. He's a skilled player. He has the ability to handle or the ability to play off the ball. He can play in ball screens and make passing reads. He can play out in transition and make passing reads. He's a solid defender. I wouldn't call him like a super plus defender, but he's definitely solid. He's multi-positional. He takes a lot of boxes, I think, for the Kings particularly is where I'm at. Uh, Trying to think, you know, Jalen Slauson, like good two-way flyer at the end of the day. I like Slauson a lot. High feel, great help defender, really instinctual defender in a lot of different ways. Has improved enough as a shooter over the last few years that I'm willing to bank on him being okay on offense, scaling down his role. Like we all know Slauson from leading Furman to that win in the first round of the NCAA tournament this year. He's been a prospect for a lot longer than that. But Furman's offense was really built all around him as a playmaker and like the focal point of their Princeton-esque attack. He's not going to have that role in the NBA, but he can do a lot of different things on offense. As long as the shot keeps falling, I think he can stick around in the league. Next up, the San Antonio Spurs. I would imagine they had your favorite draft, right? Oh, what gave it away, Sam? So the San Antonio Spurs draft Victor Wembanyama at number one. They acquire two second round picks for number 33. They take CD Sissoko at number 44. They get Serge Ibari Rice on a two-way deal. And then they sign a few other guys to like interesting, you know, summer league flyers and E10s and stuff like that. Uh, Let's start with Vic first, even though I know that's not where you want to start. We'll start with Vic. We've talked enough about Vic in terms of uh, just all of what makes him special. How quickly do you think Victor Wembanyama is going to be able to lead a team to like contention in a tangible way? I think it depends on how much floor spacing you surround him with in some regard. I think that's like a cop-out answer because that's true for almost any star player or number one option, but he needs to be able to be a little bit more of an interior force than a guy who's reliant on his jump shot right away. That's not the most polished part of his offensive game. And he's going to command double teams when he's in isolation or he's working in that mid post area. The best way to, leverage that to your team's advantage, surround him with more shooting. So I I think it really depends on other moves the Spurs make, the continued trajectory of guys like Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell, Malachi Branham, who else, Jeremy Sohan, to be able to shoot the ball consistently from the perimeter. But I think he can anchor a defense, particularly as a help side rim protector, from year one. And the versatile, impactful defenders the Spurs have already acquired through the draft means that this can be an elite defensive unit in only a year or two. Like, it's not going to take much time for them to be scary on that end. I think that's right. I think that how how they go about building this roster is just fascinating to me, just because Devin Vassell is an interesting player that, you know, continues to take leaps. 
but missed a lot of time last year. Kelton Johnson is like an interesting player that needs to improve defensively on some level, I think, like in a real way. You know, do they have a point guard? To me, like I'm trying, if I'm them, I'm like going out and like getting Austin Reeves in free agency. I'm like, I'm like debating maxing Austin Reeves in free agency if I'm them. Whoa. Okay. The numbers like four hundred, four ninety nine, or whatever. Like, it's a low max. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like a low max prosper. There's my dad joke for the day. I'll blame myself for that because I set you up for it. Uh, look, I just think that like and this is like no slight at Trey Jones. I think Trey Jones had like a really solid year last year. It's just that he's a bit limited. And I probably want a better lead guard. Also, like I want somebody that can grow and mature with this group, like in terms of like their age bracket. I don't know. Like I kind of wonder if Reeves is the fit. He makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I would be doing everything I could if I were San Antonio to go out and get him. Yeah. I don't know. CD Soko. Talk about CD Soko. (laughs) Because that's what you've been waiting for. Charming, charming man. He is going to be so beloved by those San Antonio fans. Speaks Spanish, speaks French. Really hardworking, tough-nosed kid. But what I love about Sissoko is the competitiveness that he brings to the table, which is why I think he's going to make an impact in his career earlier than later. He's got some things to clean up in terms of his catch-and-shoot mechanics. He is a high feel basketball player who doesn't know how to utilize that feel because he's not a quick twitch athlete, but he's very, very strong. He knows the game super well. He works his ass off. And that dude is not afraid to go in there and just mix it up with the opposing team's best player. I love the fit for him in San Antonio because I think a lot of what makes him pop to me is part of the reason that San Antonio tends to, get a lot of traction from second round guys that they're competitive. They won't take no for an answer. They're willing to work, willing to learn. And they already have such a versatile feel for the game on both ends of the floor. I I think this is a great landing spot for him, but the absolute perfect second round flyer for the Spurs to take because of the positional versatility on defense, he'll continue to provide next to Victor Weminyama. Going to have to shoot it. Uh, Really going to have to shoot it. I think is the big thing. Uh, I was a little bit lower on CD than you are. I still think this is a phenomenal pickup for them uh, to take him at 44 because look, I had him at like 32, 33, 34, something in that range. Uh, You get a guy that's 10 spots higher on your board. I think that's a win. Also, you can see the vision in terms of defense with CD. You can see the vision in terms of feel for the game at times with him. So it's a good fit in San Antonio. I think it, I think it's a really really good fit that works for them. Uh, I will also shout out. I think Sir Jabari Rice like might be a rotation player for them this year. Ooh, yeah, he's he's a good get for them. Long arms too. Long arms. Super long, super smart, and can shoot. Uh, this is just a team that doesn't have like crazy depth there. Uh, I'm not saying that like he's an awesome you know bet here. I just think there's an outside chance he can be a like impactful player for them. Okay. Last team, Adam, the Utah Jazz had a fascinating draft. Taylor Hendricks goes number nine, Keontae George number 16, Bryce Sensabaugh number 28, 
They signed Joey Hauser to a two-way, Tavion Kinsey to a summer league deal. Uh, the, uh, a draft that was more centered on what they didn't do as opposed to what they did do, I think. Because this is a team that was in days leading up to the draft very strongly believed to be in the market to move up in multiple different ways, be it moving up, you know, from nine to five or six moving up from number 16 to 10 to 12, just generally trying to move up on draft night. And they weren't able to do that. And instead they end up with, Taylor Hendricks, Keontae George, and Bryce Sensabaugh. How do you feel about that draft hall? So we have been approaching this whole grading procedure in terms of talking about process. I think for the Utah Jazz, their process when you have three first-round picks and you are a little bit younger of a team, have a lot of future draft capital, probably still looking for your long-term most impactful players, you take a swing or two in the first round and you probably fill some guys that you hope can blossom into impactful roles that you don't necessarily already have filled. I think Taylor Hendricks was the right process swing for them to take as a big toolsy wing who can play in the modern NBA and play next to other bigger type of players. He and Walker Kessler long-term can be a, dominant interior defensive duo with how Walker Kessler can play and drop coverages. And then if he gets moved away from the basket, Taylor Hendricks is a rotational defender behind him. Excellent in theory. I love the thought of Hendricks and Lowry Markinen also providing floor spacing at the three and four positions when they go alongside each other. I think the Jazz needed a guard. Keontae George has one of the higher ceilings of the guys still available at 16 to become a true three-level scorer. That's something that Utah doesn't have a ton of long-term on this roster. I know Jordan Clarkson and uh, you know a couple other guys that were there and, and the revolving doors that they had this year put up some numbers. And I think what they showed is that with the core and the vision that Will Hardy has for this team, if you have a guard that can really score and fill the ball up, you can win more games than a lot of people might anticipate on that. I think Keontae still has some areas to clean up but I get the vision. And then with a third first round pick swing for the fences. And that's what Bryce Sensabaugh was real high upside offensive piece at the late part of the first round. That is the right, as you'd like to say, informed bet to be able to take on a guy who if healthy can play off ball, can create his own on ball and just has one of the higher ceilings that you will find in that point of the draft. So I don't disagree with anything you just said. My problem is more like opportunity cost. This is the team that I look at and I'm like, why are you not taking the Cam Whitmore flyer? It's 16. Like, honestly, I don't, I would take Cam Whitmore over Taylor Hendricks personally, but if you want to take Taylor Hendricks over Cam Whitmore at number nine, that's where I'm like, okay, sure. I understand that. That's like completely reasonable. It's more like taking Cam Whitmore over Keontae George. I mean, maybe I'm just going to be wrong on this. Like I I had a pretty substantial differential between those two. 
in terms of where I had them on my board. I would imagine most teams did from a talent perspective. And with Utah, the Jazz very clearly showed later in the draft that they're willing to take a shot on medicals. Like Bryce Sensabaugh is another guy that had like real medical uh, flags, Uh, multiple uh, meniscus injuries in high school, uh, multiple surgeries on that issue. Like it's uh, we've talked about it on the show multiple times. I'm struggling with them not taking that swing more than anybody else because they showed later in the draft they'd be willing to. This is a team that needs perimeter scoring, like truly. Why would you not go for that, I guess? Yeah, yeah. I I don't have a good answer for you uh, because I would have done the same thing. But I I also think I kind of understand when you have as many draft picks and assets as they have, and they weren't able to trade up, like I'm looking ahead of 20, but not at 16, right? Like, was there a way that they could have tried to keep 16 and then move 28 and something else to so get into that 17 to 20? The answer, there I don't, is, the answer there is no. Like we, we actually know that the answer is no. Yeah. Uh, I believe Rafael Stone, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Houston fans, I'm sure you will. I, I believe I thought I heard, saw that Rafael Stone said that like they tried to move up to get Cam Whitmore. Uh, and then Indiana's Chad Buchanan said as well that they tried to move up to get Cam Whitmore as he was falling. And just none of those teams wanted to move the picks. So my assumption is that it was not an option to do so. Right. My issue is, and like, maybe I'm just too high on Whitmore. Like I ended up with like a three tier difference on Keontae George and Cam Whitmore. Like it's not, even if you want to be charitable, I ended up with a two tier difference on Keontae George and Cam Whitmore. Like let's get super, super charitable. Uh, and move Keontae George into a tier up and then Cam Whitmore into a tier down, I still have a tier difference between the two. So I'm just, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with that side of it. Uh, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Keontae George, you're right. Like there's real upside there. Like he's a creative ball handler, plays it interesting cadences, like can get defenders off balance, can do a number of different things. From a process perspective, I think that the swing on Cam Whitmore is better process personally, but you know, who knows? Maybe you maybe you take Cam Whitmore at sixteen, and I'll be honest, like I don't think any of the Lakers, Heat, Warriors, Rockets, maybe someone trades in at twenty to take him. Yeah. But I, I think also like if Cam Whitmore's not there at 20, I think there were some reports about Houston potentially shopping. Yeah, that's it. So that's it. maybe, maybe what you do is you take Cam at 16 and then you say, Hey, we'll give you 28 in the future first for 20. That's it. That's what they should have done. That's what they should have done. Yeah. Yeah. If they really wanted Keontae George, like that's how you yeah. handle that. That's a shame. Uh, Look, on a draft value perspective, I had Taylor Hendricks, I think it's seven or eight. I had Bryce Sensabaugh right around, you know, 18, 19, 20. 
and I had Keontae George at like, you know, 25, something like that, 26. So they basically like ticked the boxes uh, in terms of draft value. So I I don't really have a problem with their takeaway necessarily, like what their take-home value was. I think it was fine. I just think they had a lot of potential for it to be better. And in the grand scheme of that, it worries me because these next couple of drafts, you and I have very significant concerns on. And if you're the jazz, I think you should be taking real substantial flyers in like trying to overpay to get into drafts here or like get the guys that you want now, as opposed to like trying to bet on those later drafts. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you there, but I will say like the lion's share of what's going to make this draft a successful one is whether Taylor Hendricks hits. That's going yeah. to be that's going to be yeah. the most important thing for Jazz fans long term. Yeah. I think that playing between Lowry Markinen and Walker Kessler is a fantastic place for him to be. And honestly, I'm probably over-indexing on it. True, truly, like I think I'm probably like over-indexing on the idea of what could have been versus what is. And I think their draft hall is like completely reasonable and solid for what they wanted and what they we're hoping to accomplish. So I don't know. I I'm like, I'm of two minds with it just because I think there was potential for more, I guess. Yeah. So, um, intriguing though. All right. We've gone through all 30 teams now, Adam. Uh, it's time for a free agency to start. I'm ready. Free agency followed by summer league, followed by the opportunity for all of us to overreact to who's great and who's a bust based on summer league play. Like, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's the best. Shout out to Summer League. Okay, uh, Adam, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, look, if you want to find my work, just go follow me on Twitter at the and one underscore. Everything from my Substack and my YouTube gets posted over there. Uh, not that much going on right now as we're trying to take a little bit of a break and digest a lot of this draft cycle, but going to be coming with some 2024 draft stuff sooner rather than later. Yep. Super excited to talk about uh, all of this moving forward with Adam. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah, go to The Athletic. I will have stuff you know, on the 2023 NBA draft moving forward here. Uh, super excited to dive in and be able to break all of that down with you. Uh, I might do draft grades there. I will certainly do a draft update and like wrap-up thing there. So, yeah, keep it locked over there. Looking forward to it. Uh, This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back next week. Eh, No, probably later this week. Let's be honest. There's free agency starting Friday. Uh, We will be back later this week with more. Until next time, we'll talk soon.